0: as we'll pray and go from there. Lord, we humble ourselves before You. We acknowledge You are not only Savior and King, but Creator God. That uh, We are not. We humbly ask that You speak words of life to us, that You direct our hearts, You direct our thoughts, You help us to draw a little bit more close to You this morning through Your Word. Lord, we all bring different needs and thoughts with us. Help us to Hold those lightly as we consider you together. We ask that you would be worshipped and adored in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I have, uh, I've been uh, blessed to lead uh, what is, in my view, a ridiculously blessed life. Uh, From childhood up, I mean, God's graced me in numerous ways. uh, Somewhat. Perhaps most profoundly, I got to marry the woman of my dreams, Joe. She's sitting just two seats away, but don't don't get any thoughts. Yeah, she... <laughs> I've raised four lovely daughters. I got to be a husband and a father, which was sort of all I knew as a kid growing up, was that's what I wanted to do, got to do all that. I've had a number of careers also. Uh, sort of problematic as I was growing up. I thought, Lord, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't know what being an adult as far as a career, a vocation, a calling looks like. And so I've ended up doing a number of things. And I've enjoyed all of them. Uh, One of them was uh, as a home inspector, I inspected homes for about 15 years and in that, I would go to conferences when I could around the country, get continuing education credits, and, and stay sharp. And con- conferences are good for that. You meet people you wouldn't otherwise know. You gain information you other- otherwise would not get. So all those were helpful. Uh, there was one in San Diego where there was a speaker who was particularly memorable, and he was, he was a character. As soon as he got up to the podium, you knew this guy is a character. He was not a home inspector. He was a sick house specialist. And basically what that means is that you get moisture someplace in your home and it's warm enough and it grows stuff that's no good for you and people in that house are breathing it in and they get sick. And so he was talking about making a living as a sick house specialist and, and how greatly in demand he was. This guy lived in the Carolinas on the East Coast, but he had traveled as far as Alaska to help people with their sick houses and this is what he continued to say so this is a guy his specialty is in measuring pascals of pressure and air movement and humidity levels and moisture and just figuring out where air is coming and going but this is what he said and he said it repeatedly his clients of his clients he said these people are in pain they're looking for pain relief he said you're not fixing a house you're relieving pain and he was recruiting home inspectors to take up his specialty because he basically said, there are far too few people who can do what I do, and it's a very lucrative business. Sort of, the, and, and the scenario would be somebody simply knows they're sick, and they don't feel good, and they're looking for a way out. And they try one avenue after another, so that by the time they got to him, they don't care what it costs they've got pain, they're suffering, they just want somebody to come and make it better. And that was his deal. He said, you're not selling professional services, you're selling pain relief, pain relief or suffering. I'm a creature of comfort, and guys, if you grow up in the States or in the West, Europe, Canada, much of South America, it's easy to be a creature of comfort because we've got it so good, just materially. We've got so much crazy good stuff. You know, the time we live, the place we live, we take things for granted that people through history couldn't have dreamed of, couldn't have conceived of, couldn't have imagined, and that's normal for us. And so I think particularly in the West, the states included, I think having a right attitude or outlook on pain and suffering is hard to come by, and that we, we specialize in pain relief for ourselves, for others. Suffering is something we, we simply don't want to consider and we're not very good at. But pain and suffering have been with us since the fall, haven't they? You don't have to even convince anyone of this. We suffer physically. If I hit my finger in the shop, or I get sick, or a disease, or I'm in an accident, my body hurts. I'm suffering physically. I can suffer emotionally. So you don't like me. And that hurts my feelings. I suffer emotionally. Or I want things I can't get or I get things I don't want that affects me I may feel like I'm suffering emotionally I can suffer spiritually you know as a Christian I have fellowship with God God's spirit is in me and I can fellowship with the Lord but when I sin and I feel that separation it's not loss of salvation but but I lose the benefit of that fellowship don't I I can suffer spiritually you remember in a movie scene from the princess bride Wesley Tells Buttercup, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. To live, we know, is to experience not only pleasures, which we get tons of. We get tons of pleasure. But to live, friends, is to suffer as well. Our English suffer comes from the Latin, two different words, and it just means to bear up under. I've got a weight or I'm carrying a load. Suffering is I'm carrying a load that I don't want. I've got a pressure on me. I've got something that's affecting me adversely, and I can't get out from under it. I'm under this thing. If someone asked you to define suffering, how would you define suffering? What, in, in your mind, in my mind, what does it mean to suffer? Because it, it could take on numerous nuances. Suffering might be, for some of us, primarily physical. For others, it might be primarily emotional. But if you describe suffering for someone else, how would you define that? And also, if, if someone asked you, what has suffering looked like in your life? So, someone asked me, Mike, what does it look like to suffer out of my personal experience? What comes to your mind? What has suffering looked like? Everyone has some experience. What does your experience look like in suffering? There's a great book, it's been out for decades, by Roman Catholic theologian Peter Kreeft, It's called Making Sense Out of Suffering. And on the front end of the book, he talks about the Buddha and Buddhism. And and he talks about sort of views and attitudes, aspects of seeing life related to suffering. And Kreef sort of gives a helpful definition at least to some elements of suffering when he says suffering is the difference between what I want and what I get. Suffering is the difference between what I want and what I get. That doesn't apply perhaps helpfully, necessarily to physical suffering, but that's a pretty good description. So the Buddhist answer was, if you always want what you get, there's no suffering. You can do away with suffering because you just say, I want whatever I get. That's what I want. Or I do away with all desire, ultimately. And that's the end of suffering. That's not the biblical answer to the end of suffering. You know, you read the uh, Old Testament book of Job. And a few people, I've never known anyone who suffered like Job. We did a study in Job, I think, a couple years ago. And God allows him to suffer incredibly. You know, he loses everyone and everything that he has loved, his children, his wife is left, we won't go into that, because the enemy could use her against her husband. But he loses everything, and he's trying to make sense of this, isn't he? He's trying to do what Kreef's title says, he's trying to make sense out of his suffering, And so he wants to engage God. He wants to have this meeting of the mind and say, God, what gives? In fact, he accuses God, you're unjust because of the degree or the kind of suffering you've allowed or you've brought into my life. And so when he has the tate to tate with God, God basically says, I'm God and you're not. And I don't owe you an answer. There's lots of other lessons out of Job. By the way, you can listen to those lessons online too. Just a couple years ago. For the Christian, and what I want to suggest this morning... I don't think most of us suffer well. That's my starting point. And Scripture calls us to suffer and to suffer well. And so how do we do that? And one of the the things, one of the ways we can start at least, is to choose to see suffering like an athlete sees pain in training. You know, if you've participated in athletics, you'll find that you're often pushed physically beyond what you thought you could do you know, breathing or fatigue or whatever, and you'll, you'll hear sometimes people pushing through the pain barrier. You know, as, a, as an athlete in high school, I ran track, and the very end of the year, I was a sprinter. I wasn't a distance guy, but still I'm running quarters for strength. And my coach is taught, and it's just me, it's, I'm the only one out there. It's the end of the season, I'm the only one left. My coach is telling me to run hard on these quarters. And so you know what I realized? I'd heard about breaking the pain barrier, running through, And I didn't know what it was, because I'd never done it. Until on these quarters, at the three-quarter mark, I realized I'm tired, my muscles ache, I'm fatigued. I could slow down now to the end. But I realized, or I could choose to run harder and faster right to the end. And you know what, I realized I can do this. When it's hurting and I feel fatigued like I should slow down, I realized, no, I can actually push myself past that. I can continue feeling this pain or fatigue or suffering And it doesn't have to constrain me. I can run right through that. And Christians are called to have a view of suffering, that suffering isn't an enemy to be avoided. Suffering is, in fact, part of the exercise or the means by which God is both refining our faith and making us more like Christ. So that suffering and pain for the Christian are meant to be embraced in a way I, I think I'm convinced most of us don't. Perhaps never have. This is the second of five messages from 1 Peter, which we're talking about what does it look like to live as an exile on earth. That's what Peter said. We looked at that last week. And what you'll see in large part is this. If you read through 1 Peter 5 chapters, you'll see that suffering is one of the key lenses Peter uses to develop this theme of what it looks like for a Christian to live as an exile on planet Earth. Peter says to live as an exile is to suffer. And that, and that guy's suffering is God's will for your life. God wills for you and me to suffer because there's benefit he's going to bring out of that for our life. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. If you've got your Bible or your app open, turn to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Peter starts there by saying in part, hey, we're going to rejoice, we've got joy, because we have an inheritance waiting for us with Christ in heaven. But then he says this, But now for a little while, guys, no matter how long you live, your life is just a little while. For a little while, if necessary, and that means it is necessary, you have been grieved. You've experienced pain, you've experienced suffering by various trials, all different kinds of suffering and pain. Verse 7, "...so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, your faith is more valuable than the purest gold, may be found, your purified faith, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears, your faith, your refined faith, will be praised by Christ. So Pete tells us, we have heaven and rewards to come in the future, but we have pain and grief and suffering now. And the sufferings we endure as exiles on earth serve the purpose. They reveal the genuineness of our faith. And our faith is more valuable than a pain-free experience. That our faith is more valuable than to live life sans without the pain that refines faith. So God refines, purifies our faith through suffering. So faith here is the thing. Faith and faithfulness. You know, we just finished a series a month or so ago on the Christ-like faithfulness in us. If you went back to the Garden of Eden when God was in fellowship with Adam and Eve, you remember He said, you got the run of the place, you can do anything you want, you can have anything you want, there's just one thing, there's one pleasure in all the garden, there's one experience of pleasure that I don't want you to have. So faith for them meant choosing not to experience a pleasure. That would have been faith. But since the fall, God says now for us, faith means embracing an experience we would rather not experience or have. It's faith in either direction. Avoiding a pleasure or embracing suffering both require faith. That's required of you and me today. The outcome of enduring exile suffering is God's praise. You see this in verse 7. Your faith will be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, that praise is not us to Christ, it's Christ to us. Think of David, I mentioned him I think last week and I'll bring him up again because it is such an apt illustration. David's anointed by Samuel as king, but King Saul is still on the throne. David is the king. He is a king, but he's in exile. And you remember, he lives in caves in holes in the ground. If you, if you claim David as your king when he's in exile, if you were part of that group of 600 or so and their families that traveled with him, you would have paid a price You would have had exile living while living in the land of promise. Because you remember, David has to flee from Saul again and again. And all the people with him, they're picking up their tents and their belongings out of their caves and they're fleeing with him. If you were associated with David in exile, you paid a price, you suffered. It was a given. But when David came to the throne, that got turned on its head. Because now David's on the throne, he's ruling as king, he's no longer a king in exile. And so he elevates, he praises, and he rewards those who served him during his exile reign. And that's exactly what Christ does. That the suffering you and I experience now because we're Christians is what Christ, the king on his throne, will reward and praise when he appears, when we see him face to face. He's a king in exile. We are subjects in exile. We talked about this last week. Heaven's our true home where Christ is, is our home. He's an exile king. We're exiles on earth. But there's praise and glory to come. And we'll talk about this near the end of the series. There's praise and glory to come when Jesus appears and takes up his throne. There's suffering now. There's praise later. See this in Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 as well. I'll let you read that later. Life in exile means suffering, but that suffering is redemptive. God uses it to reveal and purify our faith. A faith Jesus will praise and reward when he enters his kingdom. Now, Christians suffer uniquely. Those who belong to God on earth, exiles, they suffer uniquely. They suffer in addition to the ways everyone else on earth suffers. So because we live in a world ruled by sin and death, everyone suffers. There's no way around it. That's a given. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. You can't get away from it. Christians don't suffer less than everyone else. They suffer more. They're called to suffer more. In fact, the language is is instructive. It's not like it might happen. It will happen. It's not you might consider this. It's God's call on your life is to suffer. For Christ, Christians are blessed on earth with more suffering, not less. Jesus' followers are uniquely called to suffer. If you've got your Bible still open, go to chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Peter there says, This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, not just suffering but suffering unjustly. Do you guys not find if something's not fair, you just want to say, God, this isn't fair. Change it. Make it fair. Make it just the way I want it. Christians are going to suffer unjustly. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Now, just FYI. Maybe you haven't been beaten. This is is in the context of masters and slaves. So this comes out a little differently here. And in that, in that day, a slave could be beaten. This is the Roman world and slavery. We won't get into all of this, but that's the relationship that's in view. So he says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. What's God's call on your life and mine? Now, we can say big picture transformation into the image of Christ. This is God's call on your life as an exile, as a Christian. It's to suffer. He's absolutely clear on this. And not only that, unjustly. The reason, because, why are you called to suffer? Because Christ suffered for you. He left you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And this is what Christ's suffering looked like. Verse 22, unjustly. Jesus was, He suffered unjustly. He committed no sin. There was no reason for him to be treated badly. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't say anything amiss. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, Peter says this. Pete says, Jesus suffered. You belong to Jesus. You'll suffer. Jesus suffered. You're Jesus's. You're going to suffer too. He's left you an example. Now, Jesus' suffering wasn't in vain. You remember, he entrusted himself to the Father, not only for ultimate justice, but for rewards. And remember, the Father, you see this especially in John's Gospel, but the Father delights in nothing so much as heaping praise and glory on Jesus. And Jesus delights in nothing so much as heaping praise and glory on his Father. It's a mutual love affair. So Jesus' incarnation was so big picture, the Father could heap more praise on the Son, the second person of the Trinity. So Jesus knows, I'm going to get an honor forever from my Father that has to do with my humanity. But He also has this. Jesus also knew that He was a bridegroom winning His bride in His sufferings on earth. So that crazy as it is to me, you and I, we are Jesus' joy in heaven. That's crazy, isn't it? He loves us that much that He looks forward from the pain of His suffering to the delights of being with saints like you and I, his church, the Bride of Christ. Put the perspective here, too, of who it is that's writing this. So this is the Apostle Peter. What's his experience of suffering with Jesus? And specifically of seeing Jesus suffer. So Peter saw Jesus tried by the Jewish Sanhedrin in the homes of the high priests, all, all against the law, all unjustly. You remember he was disabused, he was disrespected, he was hit in the face. Remember Peter's in the courtyard. Luke's gospel makes it clear they can see each other, at least at some point. Peter's there. Peter saw Jesus brought before Pilate, and then Herod Antipas, and Pilate again. He, he's there, you remember he's following. Peter saw Jesus scourged, insulted, and crowned with thorns. Peter saw spikes driven through Jesus' hands and feet. So he saw, he personally, he was an eyewitness of Jesus' suffering. And he heard from Jesus' lips, no shouting, no anger. He didn't revile in return, Peter's told us. But he did hear Jesus pray from the cross, Father, forgive them. So he saw Jesus suffer. He heard Jesus' words. But you remember what Peter did the night of the Last Supper? Peter denied knowing Jesus. And why did he do that? Because he was avoiding pain and suffering. He didn't know what they would do with him, right? He's in enemy territory there. And even though it's just the gal who opens the gate, and it's this servant or whatever asking him these questions, he's terrified. He doesn't know what it might mean to him. If he says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so he says, I'm not. So when we read Peter's words about embracing suffering, we're listening to a guy who at one point did not. And I suspect he felt that, you know, in the, in the gospel text it says he wept bitterly afterwards. You know, he repented of it. If he could have, he would have gone back and said, yes, I am. So when he writes to Christians, he's writing at least in part as someone who knew what it was to not identify with Christ, to avoid suffering and live to regret it. So we're hearing from a guy who had chosen not to at one point who says all the more to us, guys, embrace it. Don't try and get out of it. It's God's call on your life. And mine, and I think it's particularly important for us guys. We have lived an insulated life in all kinds of ways, and you know, on one hand, I'm really glad this is not this is not a complaint. (laughs) I'm a comfort-loving creature, and I get that, and I'm usually good with that. But in the states, in the time and the place we live, we have lived our lives have been an anomaly historically your life and mine, our freedom from oppression and suffering, all the good stuff we've been able to enjoy materially, this is not the norm on earth at all. And it's not the norm for Christians at all. So this is a tough sell for us as Christians. If you're aware, though, there are Christians suffering all over the earth today. So the bottom of your study sheet on the back side There are a website for Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs is a a group, a Christian support uh, ministry that Lionel Lamb supports every month financially. And the I Commit to Pray is part of what they do also. And it simply emails specific, actionable, prayerful issues about who just got imprisoned. uh, What's going on today for Christians around the world, we're ignorant of almost all of it. I mentioned last week, almost 400 Christians in Nigeria alone were slaughtered. Uh, In Tanzania, they said thousands of small churches have been shuttered just this year. In China, they're tearing the crosses off of churches. You know, they're going through rural areas also, through personal houses, to require Christians to tear down crosses or anything that identifies them as Christians, and replace those with pictures of Xi. These are people, they're just like you and me. Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. They're suffering. This is not sort of a a lesson in Sunday school for them. This is what they're living. This is what they're living today. This is going on all over. Christ's followers are called to endure suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus said. You remember in John 15, 20, Jesus told the disciples that last night, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. In other words, you'll be treated the same way Jesus was if you're his follower. Listen to this from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't the first thing we typically do when suffering comes our way? Think, what did I do wrong? There's a mistake. If I, if I see the right person, this will all go away. He said, don't be surprised. It's not strange, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. God is not a sadist. And this isn't just so that God's inflicting pain on those He loves. He says that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Christ is persecuted, we're persecuted. Christ comes in glory, we share that glory with Him. He says, verse 14, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That for Christians to suffer as Christians is simply evidence of the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ on them. He says, verse 15, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. It's not a mistake. It's not strange. According to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do the same thing Jesus did. We don't revile. We entrust ourselves to God who judges rightly. When we suffer as Christians, it should encourage us as it did the early disciples. And this is what you see in Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles were beaten by the Sanhedrin because they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching Christ. They're associated with Jesus. You remember it says, they went out rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They saw it as evidence of their, their suffering was evidence that they really were Christ, that Jesus' words were being fulfilled on them in the beating. They understood this is God's will. We are connected to Christ. It's an honor to suffer for Christ's name. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.29, he knew a thing or two about suffering. And I think sometimes we just read over these verses. We don't stop on them long enough to say, what does that look like? Paul says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, for Christ's sake, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Uh, Paul says it's been it's like a gift God has given you to suffer for Christ's sake. It's a gift. It's been given. It's a calling on one hand, it's a gift on another. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 1. And you remember, this is Paul's last letter. And he's writing to a guy that he knows tends to be fearful and timid. And Paul knows his life is going to end soon. And he's really hoping Timothy will take up the torch and continue. And so he says there... And he's in prison, of course, when he writes this. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why would he say that to Timothy? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Is there a chance that any of us have ever been embarrassed about the gospel? Ashamed of the gospel? Because like Peter in the court of the high priest, we're wondering, what will that person think of me? they'll think I'm stupid or dumb, I'll be marginalized, they won't like me, they'll misunderstand me. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. He says, and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul's not ashamed of his chains. He understands they're an indication that he's actually following Christ, that there's no mistake. This fiery trial is not some grand mystic mistake he needs to correct. It's God's will. He, says, he t- says to Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God will empower you to suffer for the gospel. He says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Why does Paul suffer? Because he proclaims Christ. God's called him to proclaim Christ. He proclaims Christ. What does he get? He gets suffering. And he says, these things are connected. There's no mistake here. And he says, I'm not ashamed, I know whom I have believed. I think that's the thought we need to hold. Because when the temptations assail us, and they will and they do, Paul's got this confidence, when I see Christ, it'll be worth it. That that anything I suffer temporarily here for him, any shame, any embarrassment, any whatever, it'll be worth it. I know who I am trusting. Sometimes too... This isn't always the case, but as exiles on earth, as people who don't belong to the kingdom of darkness, which rules this earth right now, sometimes the suffering that Christians experience is motivated spiritually by Satan, and that's what Peter brings up in chapter 5. If you look at verses 8 to 10, he says this, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour, to harm. He says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This isn't unique. What you're experiencing is not unique. It's going on all over the globe, Peter says to other believers. He says, after you've suffered a little while... And, guys, scripture is clear. Your life and mine, if you live to 100 years, it's a pittance. It's just a little while. It's a vapor. It's a breath. Anything compared to eternity is insignificant. Any time increment. If you say, I've been suffering a long time, I say, in eternity, it is nothing. If we suffered all our life for decades as a Christian, in eternity's view, it is nothing. It's a little while. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When we go through that persecution, that suffering, that pain, we depend on God to sustain us. We say yes. We say yes, Lord, and we trust God to sustain us through that. So Christians are the object of Satan's special persecution because we are Christ's. There's no shame for us in suffering for Christ. It would be a shame to disassociate from Jesus in order to avoid suffering. That's what Peter did, and he regretted it. I want to mention last on this, related to submission. Kent's going to teach on the topic of submission in October. That's part of a series that will be coming up. And so I'm not really speaking to submission as sort of explicating what Scripture talks about that. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2 is one of the key passages on this. I simply want to point this out you can live subject to authorities God has put over you and suffer from those same authorities because you're simply following Christ. So in 1 Peter 2, 13 through chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says Christians are subject to every human institution. We're subject to the governing authorities over us. That's the same thing Romans 13 says servants are subject to their masters. They're called to live under the authority of their masters. Now, we live in a different day and time. The closest thing we have to this is employees and employers. And and that's not the same. That's the closest thing we have, though. And in chapter 3, it was wives are subject to their husbands, submitting to their own husbands. Verse 5, it says there. So, So Peter says there are authorities God has placed on the earth, and we're called to submit to them. But submitting to the earthly authorities does not mean you won't suffer from those earthly authorities. Peter and the other apostles were arrested for simply preaching the gospel. They didn't break Roman law when they did that. Stephen and James were martyred while living in submission. The apostle Paul, though he was a citizen of Rome, was arrested and beaten. In fact, you know, you read the litany of suffering, 2 Corinthians and Philippians. Paul, suffering was simply a part of Paul's calling card because he was Christ's and he was living in submission to authority. Today, Christians offer suffer persecution simply because they are Christ. This again, this is going on all over the world. Employees may suffer under harsh employers and wives may suffer under ungodly husbands. The fact that I'm living in a way that honors Christ under authority, doesn't mean those authorities won't cause suffering for me, won't bring suffering into my life. Christians may suffer while humbly living under authorities, and they may also suffer for refusing to keep laws they believe violate Christ's commands. That's interesting. Is my phone off, Bill? (laughs) I'm off, okay. Uh, If you think um, that we have entered, Christians have entered a new sphere of life and experience in the United States at least, should be clear to everyone at this point. We have two Supreme Court decisions in this summer since May. There's two decisions. One of which says that the First Amendment, the, the free exercise of religion is not so free. It can be infringed in ways Christians in the past Understood it could not be. The Supreme Court says, oh, no, it can be. Second, the Supreme Court has said that churches may be treated unequally under the law. Absolutely. This was a case out of Nevada. So if you're a gambler in Nevada, you have more liberty than a Christian going to church. That's what the Supreme Court said. They affirmed the state of Nevada's um, prejudicial treatment of churches. So, in fact, churches attempting to be shrewd, some of them are meeting, guess where? In casinos. Because they can legally gather in large groups in casinos, but they cannot do the same thing in a church. Guys, we've crossed a threshold, and I just assume more of this is coming. And whatever the short-term gains are, I assume you're going to see more and more of this in the future. And this is still what I would consider in any historic or broad range of suffering, this is still minor, but I think the tide has turned. I think the Christians in the states even are going to be seeing things a lot differently than we have in the past. Uh, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church, they'll have a legal hearing the first week of September. Uh, It's it's interesting to me, Grace Community said, hey, we're going to meet as a church. We're going to defy uh, the governor, Governor Newsom, and we're going to meet. And uh, the county tried to get a a restraining order. And a judge looked at it and he said, nope, not going to do this. Now, a church meeting was such a danger in Los Angeles that a second judge overruled the first and said, no, they can put a stay on you within 24 hours. It was so dangerous for Christians to meet in a building together. So this is coming up, and based on what the Supreme Court's already decided, I don't see churches winning these decisions in the future, that the church is going to be subject to the state legally in ways we've never seen before. And Christians will have to decide, what am I willing to do? What cost am I willing to bear? What suffering am I willing to embrace in order to continue faithfully associating with Christ? Sometimes, guys, just to meet together as a church. No bigger than that. That's coming. That's on the radar. Churches are being singled out across the nation. So I don't, I don't think this is going away. When exiles suffer under authorities, we're called to do what Jesus did and trust ourselves to God who judges rightly. You can seek legal redress. Some of the things on the responses when you're suffering unjustly. Sometimes you can seek legal redress. Christians just don't count on that. The other thing that we want to say is we do want to be intentional about affirming and supporting christians who really are suffering horribly in these days and you can do that by things like the i commit to pray you can just get emails that'll tell you prisoner so-and-so is in this prison in iran and you can write him a letter and the more letters those guys get the better because it lets the authorities know the people in the west are aware of what's occurring to this person's life or you can write the authorities who put those guys in jail. You can do things like this. You can also simply just pray. We can also support places, people like Voice of the Martyrs who are actively supporting Christians. One of the stories, this is just this week, it's just two days ago, one story, and there's many. These come out every week. A little little old woman in Vietnam is a professing Christian. The authorities come to her house. They say, honey, Sign this declaring you're not a Christian. She said, I won't. They poured boiling water over her legs and burned her legs. She went to the hospital. She couldn't be treated because she had no money. This is just a little old woman. It was Voice of the Martyrs that came in and gave money just so she could be treated for the burns because she wouldn't say, I'm not a Christian. This is not unusual. This is going on all over. So besides girding our own loins up, being big boys and big girls, to be willing to take on suffering, we also simultaneously, we need to be thinking of praying for and supporting our brothers and sisters in the faith for whom this is going on today. This is normal today. So five things in closing. We expect suffering as a normal part of life. Arm ourselves with that attitude, that outlook. We understand that suffering refines our faith, which God considers of greater importance than our free experience of pleasure and ease in this life. We suffer more, not less, because we belong to Christ. We look forward to the fruit of suffering, which is Christ's praise and reward. We support other believers in prayer and materially in their suffering. Let me pray and then we'll we'll rise and we'll read from 1 Peter 4 together. Lord, Lord, clear our minds the cobwebs and attitudes ways of seeing life that simply don't comport with reality and the truth of your word help us to be grown up in our faith help us to embrace suffering in whatever form it may come because we are christ and let us do so gladly for christ's sake and in his name amen guys let's stand and we'll read together this is first peter four verses one and two Let's read, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God.